This will be our, I don't know, fourth, fourth, fifth sermon in the book of James as we're going through. Remember we preach, uh, for the most part, we try to stick to expository sermons here, which means we take a book of the Bible, break it up into chunk by chunk, and preach those passages uh, one after another so that we can really understand what God's word has to say to us as a whole in that one book. Um, hopefully you guys have been able to use your scripture journals in the various ways that you use those. Maybe you take notes during service with those scripture journals. Maybe you're journaling throughout the week leading up to that in preparation, which I hope, you, I hope you've been able to do. But I hope that's been a blessing to you so that you can kind of in some sense, prepare your mind for our Sunday morning services and our Sunday morning sermons so that way you can get the most out of them. And as we've seen in the book of James so far, we've realized that this, this book can be summarized in this, faith that works. That's how James can be summarized, faith that works. James's whole goal is wholeness, W-H-O-L-E, that we would be whole people, that what we say on the outside would match what we believe on the inside. The things that we believe on the inside would come out in our actions on the outside. Uh, we've, we've noted that James is very much similar to the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus' attitude there, that our, our actions and our beliefs should be lined up, they should be a uh, there should be an integrity to our lives. Last week, we talked about partiality and that sin of partiality. And that I thought last week was a good week to show just the beauty of expository preaching because how often do we just pick a passage like partiality and, and preach on it? We don't. But when God sets the agenda and says, here's the book of the Bible we're going to preach through, we get to talk about topics like partiality that we normally don't. And we saw last week that we have to be careful not to show partiality in our lives, but particularly in our church, right? We shouldn't judge people based on their outward appearance and what we can get from them, but we should see them as God sees them. This week, we're on to a very important passage. I want to let you guys read here the first line of the commentary I read this week. It says this, This paragraph is the most theologically significant as well as the most controversial in the letter of James. That's how my week started Monday morning when I read that. So uh, if that's how my week started, that's how our, uh, our sermon, we can tell that this sermon today, this passage, is an important passage. And if you have a Bible and you can see above chapter 2, verse 14, it says, faith without works is dead. The next two weeks, we're going to talk, be talking about faith uh, and works and we're going to call these uh, this sermon series, this little these two series, these two sermons, working faith, part one and two. Because I thought about taking this passage as a whole, but then I thought it, it's too important for us to talk about it in one sermon. We're going to have to break it up into two sermons. And James is going to make this argument about faith: that faith, if it's not accompanied by works, will not save you. And we're going to see that in a second. But why do we, why is this topic so important? Why do we need to discuss this in particular? How faith and works go together? Well, number one, biblically, it seems like a contradiction a little bit. And here's what I mean by that. Listen to these two passages, both from the Bible. James chapter two says this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. But then Romans 3 says this, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we have the apostle Paul and the apostle James talking here, and it seems like they're saying completely opposite things. 
We're justified by works, not faith alone. Paul says we're justified by faith alone apart from works. So as you read that, you might think, well, man, there's some contradiction there. So if you're a person who believes that the Bible is God's inspired word and without error, then this is a a, a topic you need to figure out, right? Because it seems like somebody's wrong. They can't both be right. So biblically, it seems like contradiction. Historically, it has caused division. This is a, a topic that has caused a major rift in Christianity as a whole. Let's, uh, we're going to do a little bit of history here. Um, for the first 1,000 years of the church, in general, there was, there was one, I guess you could say, to use our, our, our language from today, one denomination, if you will. But there was one church in some sense from, from all parts of the world, as much as they could be one. Okay, That means from, from Spain, uh, the Christians in Spain, all the way to the Christians in China and India, those in Russia, all the way down to those in Africa. They're... Everyone kind of had, had this one central idea of, of Christianity. Now, if we were in all those churches, we'd probably see there was a lot of difference between those. But there was this one church. But then around 1,000, there was a split between the East and the West. Okay, um, there, there were some reasons for that. But the East was, were Greek speakers. The West were Latin speakers. And those in the West, particularly the, the, the Christians in Rome, thought that their bishop, who they called the Pope, was the lead bishop. And all the other bishops should... Uh, should, should follow him. Well, those in the East disagreed. They said, no, we're good. We're going to do our own thing. So the church split in that way. It's called the Great Schism. Now, our church comes from that Western side, okay? Now, you take that Western church, which would be like the, the Roman Catholic church, about 1500, there was another split. And that split uh, was over this topic, uh, salvation by faith alone. The Roman Catholics say, no, um, salvation, you need faith, but it's not just by faith alone that you're saved. You also need works. And there were reformers, people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, others like Swingley, Beza, that said, no, 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 we're saved by faith alone, apart from works. So our church, First Baptist Church of Commerce, comes from that reformed tradition. And we stand in protest against the Catholic Church. That's why we're called a Protestant church, because we're protesting, right? And what are we protesting? That we're saved by faith, not by all these hoops that we jump through to earn our salvation. We're saying we're saved by faith alone. And we stand in protest with other churches that you might be familiar with, like Methodists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Pentecostals. Lots of those churches are, we're standing in arms with those folks saying we're protesting, saying we're saved by faith alone alone. So that little history lesson helps us to realize this topic is really important. So important that we were we said at one point we can't we cannot we can no longer be part of this group because this is such an important topic that we need to separate. And then finally, so we've seen uh biblically, historically, and now spiritually, it can lead to separation. Um uh, etern- did I say eternally? I think I put eternally. It will lead to separation. If you don't understand this topic, meaning if you think you're saved by works and not by faith alone, it can lead to eternal separation from the Lord. That's how important this topic is. And that's why I couldn't just do it all in one sermon. We've got to at least do two of it, uh, two sermons on this. And what is James going to argue in this passage? He's going to argue this, this next slide, that... Faith that is not accompanied by works is not going to save you. 
Faith that's not accompanied by works will not save you. And throughout this passage, we're going to read, we're going to find four, uh, four reasons for that, four arguments for that. So let's read James chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, and we'll break there and read the rest next week. Chapter 2, verse 14 through 19 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if does not have good works, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at these four reasons why faith that's not accompanied by works will not save you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we want to thank you for this passage, Lord, that gives us clarity into what it means to be saved by faith. And what it means to do good works. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding in how we can uh, understand this passage and apply it to our lives. God, give us clarity on this most important topic of what it means to be saved. And how we can be saved by faith. And how our works relate to that salvation. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first way that James is going to prove to you that faith without works is dead is by a rhetorical question. Number one, a rhetorical question. We see that in verse 14. See what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? Another way to ask that is, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't do good works, will he be saved? Another way to say that is this, if faith is faith alone enough to save. And so I think this brings up an important point, one of the most important points of understanding this text, is that James presents to us two types of faith. He gives us this, this concept of two types of faith. Notice that he says at the end of verse 14, he says, can that faith save him? Meaning there's... Potentially a different kind of faith. So there's a faith that doesn't lead to works, and there's a faith that does lead to works. There's a faith that's alone, meaning it doesn't lead to works, and a faith that does lead to works. And I think you could think of uh, some examples like this. We like to buy plants for our houses, right? Um, or maybe flowers. Um, there's some benefits to having Fake flowers, fake flowers look really good. They stay really long. And a lot of times they cost less than real flowers. But do they really lead to producing fruit? No. So there's two types of plants, two types of flowers. A fake one that doesn't lead to fruit and a real one that does lead to fruit. That's what James is trying to say. There's two types of faith that you see in humans. There's dead faith that does not produce works. And then there's a living faith that does produce works. And so James is really making the argument that, hey, you don't need to see works as extra to salvation. You need to think of works as 
the product of salvation. It's not like we got an ice cream bowl, a bowl of ice cream, and you get the ice cream and that's good. But if you're a really good Christian, you get sprinkles and chocolate on top and you do good works, right? That's for the really good Christians. But there's some Christians that are just, you know, they believe and that's fine. James saying, no, works, good works, are not extras that we do that are a nice benefit. He's saying, no, that is the, that's the direct result of our faith. So we're faced with this serious question. Can a faith that doesn't produce works save you? And James's that rhetorical question, the answer to that is no. That faith cannot save a man. A saving faith is a working faith. The evidence of saving faith is not how much you believe, uh, but how well you behave, right? If you're going to look for the evidence of somebody being a Christian, it's not how much they believe, but how well they behave. That's the evidence of that faith. J.I. Packer says it like this, What saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. I think that really summarizes what James is saying. What saves is faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. His rhetorical question that James asks says, is making you say, yes, faith saves, but it's never going to be alone. So he makes that argument with that rhetorical question. But second, he makes this argument with a real life illustration. <coughs> a real life illustration. He provides an example here. Look what he says in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them any the things that they need for the body, what good is it? What good is it? So James says, hey, if you see somebody in need and you realize the need they have, and you say, hey man, hope you're warm today out there and you don't give them a jacket or a place to stay or a space heater or whatever that is, the, the need that he has, did your words do any good? James said, what good is it to say the words if you don't follow through with them? Now, I think in this illustration, he's, James is providing us a way to work, right? What, what does it look like for that faith to be in action, to be working? Well, it might look like feeding somebody who's hungry, helping somebody who's cold get warm, helping somebody who's homeless find a home. That's what it might look like for you to work. Remember what he said just a few verses later. What is true religion? That you would care for the widows and orphans in their distress. Right? So this faith that we have on the inside, knowing how God has treated us as poor orphans, spiritually separated from him, and he reaches out to us and helps us, that heart that believes that should also result in doing that to other people as well. We need to be with those who are helping the poor, feeding the hungry, homing the homeless, housing the homeless. Um, that's, and that's, this verse points to a way that we can work. But I think what James is specifically doing, or before I say that, remember this is, this is similar to what Jesus says um, in, in, in Matthew um, 25, right? When he says uh, to the people when he separates them and says to the group, that, that, to, to the group on his right, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was uh, naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And they said, well, when did we do that? He said, when you've served the least of these, you've served me, right? Jesus has a heart for the hurting. But I think James isn't just providing us a way to work. I think he's giving us the relationship between faith and works. Because he's saying, 
If you say to somebody, go in peace and be warmed, that really doesn't actually do anything for them. If you say those words, those words do not change the status of that person. It's only if you work, then you'll impact that person. So he's saying that faith by itself is useless, just like saying be warm and not giving somebody a a blanket. That's the same effect. Another example you might say is, you know, a faith that's just believed and not worked out is similar to like a screen door on a submarine. It's just not going to do anything. It's pointless to have it. I've never been in a submarine, but I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to realize that would be useless on that machine, right? In the same way, if you have faith and you just say, I believe, it doesn't really do any good for you unless it works itself out in your life. So a dead faith is a faith that can't just be spoken. It can't just be claimed. And James makes that point through that real life illustration. Now, third, James is going to bring up a potential objection, a potential objection. We see that in verse 18. (laughs) This is a technique that the the ancients would use. It's called a diatribe. That's just a fancy word uh, that means have a conversation with yourself. Now, all of you do what James is about to do in your everyday life, right? You think of something and then you kind of start to argue with yourself, right? Man, I need to go to Walmart today. And then something inside you says, but it's going to be so crowded and it's too cold. And then your yourself comes back and says, but if I don't go today, it's going to be colder tomorrow. You know, you, you get into this conversation with yourself to kind of make a point. James is going to do that. That, that was something that the, the, the rhetorics from back in this day would do. They would bring up a point and then they bring up potential objections. And that's what James is going to do here. In verse 18, he says this, but someone will say, well, you have faith. And I have works. So the objector, what's the objector saying? The objector saying, okay, James, we get it. Good works are good. You should do those. But some people have faith and other people do work. It's like, you know, some people are an eye. Some people are an ear. Some people are a hand. Some people are a foot, right? It's just a gift that we have. So my gift is believing. And James, your gift is working, okay? We can, we can, we can come to an agreement on here. And James, in response to that objection in verse 18, he says, okay, then let me see your faith. Show me your faith. If you've got faith, let me see it. How, how, can, I, how can I see that faith? Well, the objector's left wordless, speechless, right? James says, okay, well, then you show me your faith by not doing anything. I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. James is saying that we can look at somebody's actions And then we can see an internal reality. We can see an internal reality. Think about if you've got something going on inside of your body. A doctor can come and look at you on the outside only to some extent. But then what does he use? He uses an x-ray, an MRI, a CAT scan, something to where he's allowed to see inside of you. James is saying our works are kind of like x-ray machines or MRIs or CAT scans, these imaging that allow somebody to see an internal reality inside of us. If you look at your works, you should be able to say, hey, that person's, I can see good works in their life and I can assume there's a good faith inside of them. But if you don't have works, well, how can we ever know if there's faith inside of you, right? And this may seem 
judgmental. Doesn't it sound a little bit judgmental of like, well, if, if you really want me to believe you have faith, you better, better work it out, better show me. Well, I think to some extent we can think that, but this is really in line with how Jesus talks. What does he say in math, really the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's a section that says, don't judge lest you be judged. But then later on, what does Jesus say? Well, later on, he says, you'll recognize people by their fruit, specifically false prophets. You recognize them by their fruit. Well, Jesus, how do we, what do you mean? What do we do to that fruit? Well, you judge that fruit, right? To some extent, we can make judgments based on the way people behave, right? And we're not judging whether they're good enough to be a Christian, something like that. We're just saying, hey, our works are meant to be evidence of the faith that we have inside. And as we do that, as we look at people's works and we specifically look at our own works, because that's really what James is pointing us to. He's not saying, hey, look at other Christians and see if they're working and see if they're Christians. What he's saying is to you and to me, look at your own life. Are there works that are happening in your life that are evidence to you that you're a Christian? Look at your own life. And as we do that, we do have to have grace, don't we? We have to realize that people grow at different rates. People um, are sanctified, become more like Jesus at different speeds. Um, there's going to be a stark change in somebody's life when they, when they have faith, but it's going to sometimes take place over time. It's going to be spread out. Some of it, some people will, will, you'll see them become a lot like Jesus in, in just in the month's time. Other people, it might take a year. But the point is this, if there's faith inside of them, it should be coming out of them. If they believe, then there should be works. Warren Wearsby says it this way. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come in contact with a 220 volt wire and remain the same. If you're touching that electricity, it's going to be shocking to you, right? And there's going to be, it's going to flow through your body. In the same way, if faith has been placed in you, it's going to come out of you in works, Sometimes it's a little bit of works. Sometimes it's a lot of bit of works, but there's going to be works coming out of you. So James gives us that third argument with that potential objection. And then finally, in a mic drop moment, James is going to make a demonic comparison, a demonic comparison. Look at verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one. Good job. You do good. Even demons believe and shudder. Man, that is a staggering comparison. It, that, should, that should jar us when we see that a faith that doesn't work is like a demon's faith. He says, will you believe uh, God is one? The way he says that would lead us to believe he's, he's referring to the Shema, which is, the, is that phrase in Deuteronomy 6 that, that all... Um, Hebrew uh, children that, that are here, this, this is the first thing they memorize that um, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So he's talking about this deep or this, this foundational theological truth that all Jewish people would know. And he's saying, you've said the Shema. Okay, that's good. You're theologically correct. Great job. Even demons know that. And you're like, whoa. So that means that those who have faith but don't act on it, are the same as demons. Do you believe God exists? So do demons. Do you believe God is one? So do demons. Is your theology correct? 
so do demons. So uh, the theology of demons is also correct. You can study the ancient creeds of the church and so can demons. You can recite scripture, so can demons. Remember what Satan did to Jesus in the desert. You can look up the Baptist faith and message online and understand everything that the Baptists teach. So can demons. Believing is not something that's unique to humans. All humans at one day are going to believe, just like all demons believe. Satan knows his Bible a lot better than some of us do, right? So what's the difference? I think the difference is this. Mental assent versus dependence. Believing is not a, just a mental exercise. There's some, there, in some way it is. You have to understand something. But it's not just mental, right? Demons can understand in their mind that God is one and understand how he operates. But the difference is demons are not depending on God for the salvation of their souls. That's what a Christian does. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. It's not just acknowledging, okay, Jesus was a human that existed 2,000 years ago. Okay, I, I believe that mentally. I got it. Faith is, I realize I'm at the rock bottom spiritually, and the only way for me to be right with God is to lay aside my sin and my pride and call out to Him in faith and ask Him to save my life and depend on Him for the salvation of your soul. That's faith. And if that's the kind of faith that you have, it's going to ooze out of you in good works. It's just going to come out of you. It's going to come out of you. So faith, that's only a mental ascent, uh, just something mental, it's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. So we think, so as we think through all of those uh, arguments that James makes, he uses that rhetorical question and the real illustration, that potential objection, that demonic comparison, all of that to make the point that faith that's not accompanied by works will not save you. Now, what we could do in this moment is we could sit down and try to uh, nuance things out. I bet if we got James and set him down at a table and got Paul and set him down at the table and we had a conversation with those two guys who seemed to say completely opposite things, if we sat down with those guys, I, I 100% believe that we'd come out of that conversation agreeing. Because Paul would say, this is what I'm saying and James would say, 100%, I agree with that. But I'm, adding, I'm saying this as well. And, James, and Paul would say, yeah, 100%. Now, if we nuance this text out, I think it all smooths out. But I also, sometimes I think with, the, with passages in the Bible, we can nuance things so much that they lose their punch. Okay, So we're going to leave the nuance of this passage to next week to really dig into the relationship of faith and works. We're going to dig into that more next week. But today I want to leave us with this gut punch that James is trying to leave us with. He's saying to you, Christian, to me, Christian, are you, is your faith working out in your life? Because if it's not, you may not have real faith. Because a faith that doesn't work is dead. So we're left with this last question. You can see it here on the slide. This last question, what kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do you have? Do you have a living faith 
in a living God that's resulting in good works in your life where you can look and you can see that you're growing in Christ, that you have a concern for other people and their well-being, that you have a desire and a hunger for his word, that you want to see people saved, those who are lost come to know faith. Is that the kind of faith you have, this living faith that produces works in your life? Or do you have a dead faith, a faith that says, you know, I checked a box on a card at one point in my life at VBS that said, I believe in Jesus. And I walked the aisle. Maybe I even got baptized. But since then, God doesn't make an impact in my life. I'm definitely not working. What kind of faith do you have? That's the faith that, or that's the question James brings us with. With that question, does a faith that doesn't lead to work, can that save you? And the answer is no. So this morning as we close, I invite you to take a moment to do some self-reflection. Take a moment to say, God, make it clear to me what kind of faith I have in you. Do I have a dead faith that's just some mental exercise that I've done? Or do I have real living faith? And if so, help me produce works. Not so that I can be saved, but because I am saved that I would produce work. Let's pray and I invite you to have that that moment of of, uh, self-reflection to think through that.